Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. Michael Preston. I can't chug a beer like I used to. I was going to chug that beer for like the whole intro and then like burp at the end, but then I got like a little bit in the wrong part of my throat. You know when you do that, when you swallow weird? Isn't that the worst? My intros have just been so on point. They usually are so on point. They just kind of meander until they find their spot a little bit, you know? Excuse me. See, that's what happens when you can't chug a beer correctly anymore when you're 33 years old. Other people who are older than me are much better at it. I was never very good at chugging beer anyway. This is almost a minute-long filibuster before we get to the intro here. I'm Michael Preston. Welcome to another episode of the Kook Center Hour. Thank you, as always, for joining us. No guests this week. Uh, Kind of Spartan on folks who are experts in Portland State Viking football. Um... Even in Portland, not a very well-watched or whatever team. Uh, But I think we all know from previous history just how dangerous they can be. We all made that joke last time we played them, however many years ago it was after that 2015 debacle. A week after this will be the USC game, uh, and that is their last one at home for a few weeks until the vaccination or negative COVID test uh, mandate goes into effect for that first game in October against Oregon State. So that'll be... Another reminder for you, if you don't want to get the vaccine and you still want to go to a Washington State football game, you're going to need a negative COVID test within 72 hours of arriving on campus, or you're going to need to get your shot. And I would probably start that this week because I think that's how long the sequence takes, pretty sure. You need, I don't know if you need to be immune or whatever by then. They didn't say in their release today. Um, I, I think we've all <laughs> calmed down a little. Um, and, and I, I think that we all are kind of in the same place here because it's interesting to, at least to me is that, you know, previous to 
previous to that game, there, there was there was a fair amount of division in the fan base regarding Nick Rolovich's vaccination status, and we addressed that on the previous show. Um, but it, my goodness, everybody just united over what a poorly coached and crappy football game that was. Wasn't that nice? Nick Rolovich is a uniter, everybody. Isn't he just? We can all agree on how terrible all of that was and how most of it was probably his fault. I, uh, I, I, I've, I've gone back over and I, you know, and again, I think I don't, I don't want to say again, cause I haven't brought it up yet, but you go back to that sequence of subbing in Cam and Cooper and that shotgun wishbone package thing with Dion McIntosh, according to Jordan Kent, McIntosh, Max Borgie and Akia Wilson. Uh, and I'm, I'm just, I'm wondering what so you know besides the fact that we all sat here sat here and in real time i mean i I, like this was kind of the thing like when i when reading on social media it wasn't like this was just like something that after it didn't work we were all wondering why nikia watson and Dion mcintosh and max borgie and cabin cooper were in there i say wilson nikia wilson and watson I always say that. I always mix up those two. But it's not as if we weren't wondering in real time what the hell was going on. In, in, in what other circumstance have you ever seen a coaching staff say, let's bring in the third string quarterback for a specialty package? Okay. I, I've been going over this, over this again and again in my head. And Nick Rolovich gave an answer to a question about why the package came in. During his Monday presser that made even less sense and, you know, saying they wanted to get it on film. And I, I just, oh my God, I, I just, it's 20 to 11 in the fourth quarter. Not the time, Nick. Really not the time. You're playing an FCS team next week. Kind of really not a good time for this. Even if you truly think it's going to work, really not a great time. And the explanation after the game of, I didn't want Jaden to get hurt. We were concerned about some of the hits he's taking, which under ordinary circumstances, I would agree with. And I would find admirable in a coach. If you didn't, put him back into the game on third down. If the situation didn't get bad enough, literally two downs later, that you decided, oh, maybe we should put the better quarterback in the football game. So how concerned for his health and safety can you really be if you're going to put him back in there? Because for the two downs previous, you can just hand it off to Max Borgie. You can just give it to your All-American running back and let him try to pound through that defensive line because Lord knows his offensive line also wasn't doing that. We'll get to that in a little bit. But what kills me most is that Wazoo had scored a touchdown on the previous two drives. It was the only time all day, other than when Jaden Delora initially came in. The only time other than when Jaden Delora initially came in was Wazoo really and truly cooking. They were cooking. Absolutely cooking. Okay? So I don't know why, in God's name, with a chance to go up 26 to 11 and at that point be up two 
full possessions. Because if you make that PAT, you're up 16 points. So that's two touchdowns and two and two two-point conversions. You're up two full possessions. Why in God's name you don't do that? Because we all know what was going through our heads when they kicked that field goal. We all know what we were all thinking. Man, I'd love to have those four extra points right now. And boy, wouldn't it sure be nice if you could have those four bloody extra points. And with 13 seconds left in the game, we found out how valuable it would have been to have those last four points. So it makes absolutely no sense to have scored touchdowns on your previous two drives and then decide to screw around. Because that's what that was. That was screwing around. I don't care if you wanted to get it on tape for somebody. I don't care if you wanted to make Jonathan Smith spend 20 minutes on a Tuesday practice on this play at the goal line. I don't care. That game was not won. It was not over at that point. And I understand your defense had been playing fine, you know, okay to fine to that point. But you also know that your defense has coughed up second half leads in pretty much every game they've played under you in 2020 in this year. And what do you know? They did it again. But the game is still in the balance. It's not as if a field goal puts it completely out of reach. There's still plenty of time left in this game for Utah State to score two touchdowns. Why are you screwing around in that situation? Why are you running out a specialty package with your third string quarterback? Why? No explanation we have gotten in the intervening time since makes a lick of sense. It doesn't make any sense as to why the coaching staff, why Nick Rolovich, why Brian Smith, I don't care who did it, why it makes, it it doesn't make any dang sense. But again, what has what has upset me more is that you scored touchdowns on your previous two possessions. You put that game pretty much away if you score a TD there. And then you get down to the goal line on the next series. Yeah, okay, have some fun. If you're still up 16 with five minutes to go, fine, screw it. Go ahead and give it a try. Because then if you kick a field goal, the game is truly over. Now it's three possessions. Okay? But the game was not over at that point. The game was still very much in hand. Anybody could have won that game, and boy, what do you know? Somebody did. I think the other thing that has bothered me and has bothered a lot of other folks, it's bothered you, is that that game just seemed really poorly coached. And I mean everywhere, maybe except for special teams, because they actually did play pretty decently. And that is, it just seemed like nobody was ready. It seemed like there were really weird defensive substitutions. It seemed like we just kind of kept throwing the same crap at a wall and hoping it would stick offensively and defensively. The offensive line looked lost. Completely. I don't think there was, there was not really a drop back where Jarek Guarantano or Jaden Delora were not under some kind of pressure. 
Jaden Delore was on the move a lot for facing a Mountain West defense that was one of the worst in college football last year. And coming into this game was supposed to be one of the worst in college football this year. He was moving around an awful lot for a guy facing that defense. And I don't know enough about offensive line play to diagnose what the issue is, but they looked lost. They looked completely and utterly befuddled as to what was going on in front of them. And I don't blame these student-athletes for that. That is coaching. Student-athletes have another job. They have to go to school. They are also students. They are kids. Coaching is what makes the difference here. And ostensibly, there were good offensive linemen left behind by Mike Leach. Maybe that's not the case outside of Abraham Lucas, but it sure felt like it. And after that display on Saturday, it sure didn't seem like it. And then to top it all off, all of this off, and I already we already talked about that stupid shotgun wishbone package, whatever the hell you want to call it, it was immediately clear to anybody with a set of functioning eyeballs. They can even be colorblind like mine. It was immediately clear from the beginning of that very first offensive drive that Jarek Guarantano had no business whatsoever taking snaps at WSU. That Jaden Delora may not have been a more accurate passer, but that offense was a hell of a lot more dynamic with him back there, and it was a hell of a lot more fun, and he was at least willing to look downfield. Now, granted, he didn't get off his first read a lot of times, but Jarek Guarantano went back there, and he was frozen. On the opportunities he did get to throw the football, he could not make a decision to save his life. He was like that guy when you're ordering fast food that gets up to the counter and doesn't know what he wants and wants recommendations from the cashier. That's what Jarek Guarantano was like. It was so abundantly clear to everybody else that he had no business being out there. It's one of those extremely rare times where we can all say, yeah, we we knew that. How did you not know that? I don't know what they saw in practice. I don't know what they saw in spring practice. I don't know what in the ever-loving mind of Craig Stutzman and Nick Rolovich, what was happening there. What they saw in him that said, yes, him instead of Delora. Unless it's this stuff we've seen floating around about redshirting Jaden Delora, but even then, how the heck does that make sense? Jaden Delora is not sticking around for four years from, he's not sticking around for 22, he's not sticking around for 23, 24, and 25. He's not sticking around that long. He's already got that free year of eligibility. Okay, so let's say you only are gonna you're gonna keep him until what you know twenty four. Are do you, do you really think that that's gonna be the case, or that benching him for a very bad grad transfer quarterback is probably going to force him to look elsewhere? And do you have that much trust in everybody that you've recruited under him? If so, that's great. But it, it like there, there's got to be a way to convey that, and maybe and look, maybe not. But right now, the way to give this team the best chance to win is to have Jaden Delora be the quarterback. Right now, and 
I, I understand that you need to focus on program building and I understand you need to focus on talent building. But when the difference is that stark, when the difference between the two people, and, and look, how many times have we talked about at the quarterback positions? Why do we never blame anybody for transferring? Only one person at a time can play. One person. And so when the difference between the two people who are competing for that starting job is that drastic, why are you thinking about redshirting the better one? And more importantly, why were you saying publicly until the week of the game that there had been no decision? I, 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 what? What did, then what did Guarantano do on Thursday at practice to make you think that he should be the guy or on Wednesday or on Tuesday, whatever? What in God's name happened last week that made you think he was better than Jaden Delora? I don't know if the game turns out differently if Delora starts from from the gun. But you at least feel like Wazoo had a much better chance in that football game if he does. And I want to make one more note on that. That injury to Guarantano looked awfully convenient. Now, I hope he's okay. I never, ever wish any ill will towards anybody. Tennessee fans. God, how bad? I want Aguarantano to be good just to irritate the crap out of Tennessee fans because why do they care how good he, how well he does at Wazoo? Why do they care so much? Why do they care that he continues to be bad? How miserable do you have to be in your life that you would follow an ex-player and just hope they're bad somewhere? Why would you do that? Why? Anyway... I hope he's fine. Truly and really hope he is doing okay. But that seemed like an awful convenient time to head into the injury tent, didn't it? When your team wasn't playing that well. And when it was probably time to put somebody else in at quarterback. It seemed like an awfully convenient time for that to happen and for the coaching staff to just not have to admit that... Maybe we kind of flubbed that one up, guys. We should put the kid in. Because <laughs> those first few drives definitely seemed like Jaden Delora trying to do enough to um, maybe do the double finger guns back to the coaching staff. Didn't it seem that way to you? Trying to kind of do it all? I will say the kid makes Connor Halliday look conservative with the football. And <laughs> that, is, um, that is difficult to do. That is very, very hard to do. Look, I don't need to tell you kind of, you know, what hangs in the balance this weekend. And I, I hate to say this, but this game against an FCS team is very, very important. Because you kind of feel like you really need to win this football game. It almost feels like that Idaho game a number of years ago. I, can't, I, think, it, I think it was 2015. Maybe it was 2016, I can't remember, but they had lost to either Portland State or Eastern in the opener, and then they lost, oh, maybe it was 16, because they lost to Boise State. Where you really had to win that game. Because right now, I, I, I don't know if Nick Rolovich and this staff can do this. I really don't. I, 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 you see a team come out that prepared for game number one, game one, the one you ostensibly have the most time to prepare for, game number one, you come out that ill-prepared. 
if you are not ready for that game, what game are you going to be ready for that you only have a week to get ready for? What game? I don't know. I, I, I truly don't. And again, maybe this is 2015, where everything gets turned around fine. The Idaho game was in 2015. Now I'm correcting myself. I'm not going to look it up. Somebody correct me. Anyway. But at least with that coach, you know there had been equity. And you know the program had been being built up. And it still did really suck midway through that year, but they did get it turned around. That team had a lot of talent on it. A lot. And this team is talented. It's not like it is bereft of very capable and good players. The difference is I don't know if the coaching staff is capable of getting it turned around. I do not know. They're going to have to prove it. And it starts a lot this Saturday because I... Look, if you want to run that formation out there again, fine. Do it when you're up 40-7 to on Portland State. Try it again. Or though maybe you won't have to now that you got it on tape. So again, maybe things get turned around. Because we're, I'm going to talk about this next. Because Pac-12 North does not look very good this year. Holy crap. Yeesh. It looks really bad. But how do you have confidence in this coaching staff after that game? I don't think you do. Or it's very hard to. Or if you do, kudos to you for having a better outlook on it than I do. Because it's very difficult for me. We'll talk about week one in the Pac-12 a little bit more. We'll expand on that. Boy, some crap went down in Montlake. Don't know if you saw that. <laughs> talk about that next on the Cook Center Hour. Hey, hey, bring your ass on. Bring your ass on, you little sissy blue shirt. I'm thinking about a new segment titled... Hilarious audio clips before the worst thing ensued. <laughs> Back on the Coog Center Hour. Uh, Ed Orgeron probably should not have said that to that UCLA fan uh, prior to going into the Rose Bowl, given what transpired inside of the Rose Bowl. Um, everybody was wondering what the fans said before, like, to him to get him to say that. And I think the YouTube video I watched was like something like, um, we're going to beat you down or something. But it sounded like it was said by a person a man specifically who didn't have a lot of confidence in what he was saying, and he kind of, like, hit puberty about halfway through the sentence because he realized he was talking to Ed Orgeron, and you probably shouldn't talk that way to any Cajun person, like, unless you're ready to do it. And Ed Orgeron is also built like a tank. The man is just thicker than an oak tree, and I can't understand a word he's saying. Like, you would not... No, I would not say that to him. Um, One of the things I wanted to touch on... Um, here was that this is, it's kind of a weird year because we're not really used to this, right? Where it really seems like, um, the North is not the better division of the Pac-12 conference anymore. Um, after week one, there is one win in the North and it's not a very impressive one, mind you. I'm going to get to that in a second. Um, it's not a particularly, like, put it up on a pedestal type one. Um, everybody else in the North lost, including the University of Washington to the Montana Grizzlies. Wow. 
That's really bad, you guys. And yes, I'm allowed to do this even though we lost to Utah State. Because even though we lost to that FCS team that one time, we weren't ranked and had huge expectations from our fan base that year. <laughs> wow. Lost, they lost allowing 105 yards passing to Montana's quarterback and 127 yards on the ground. It's not even like they allowed a lot of offense. Now, granted, it's not like they did a lot on offense. Dylan Morris completed, he, the dude had, he averaged under five yards an attempt, which is horrifying. Richard Newton only had three and a half yards a touch. So even though they had like much gaudier numbers in that game, um, they didn't do a whole lot on offense. Um, their defense looked fine as usual, but it is absolutely wild to me. Absolutely, utterly, and completely wild that Montana won that football game. I I, I mean, UW went 78 yards on the first drive and then basically did nothing else after that. And what's what's most intriguing to me about this is like all all I heard all off season was about how good Washington's supposed to be. And when I when you asked people why, it was pretty much well, cause they didn't really have a reason. They didn't really have like any intriguing like thoughts on Richard Newton, on Dylan Morris, on Jimmy Lake, whatever else. It was just like well. Kate Otten's big. Okay, well, <laughs> whatever. That's nice. Um, but again, this is not, you know, this is not a year where you look at a team like that. I mean, they still are obviously talented. Um, but it's not as if this division's out of reach of them, given the only team to win a game in it. I still think Washington obviously has a lot of work to do after they lost to an FCS team at home while they were ranked. <laughs> Good thing nobody else has ever done that. We weren't ranked, but yeah, that's still not great. Um, Oregon lost or won a nail biter over Fresno State and trailed in the fourth quarter to Fresno State. Jake Hayner, Jake Hayner, you'll remember that name. Jake Hayner, who used to be a quarterback at the University of Washington, absolutely carved the Ducks up. He spent most of the second half just doing whatever he wanted to with the football. He finished the game 30 for 43, almost 300 yards of passing, and a touchdown. I think he also rushed for one. Um, That was wild to me. That was completely wild. Like, I, you know, I don't think anybody expected Oregon to be this world beater this year and go to the, you know, the uh, CFP. But squeak out a week one win over Fresno State at home was not on my bingo card for their season. That that was surprising. That's why this division, like when I said earlier why for Washington State, like you you do need to beat Portland State to kind of regain people's confidence. But even and when you and if you do that, um even if you still don't have a bunch of, you know, fans don't have a bunch of confidence in you, this division's still not totally out of reach, and it's still not, like, totally unreasonable for you to win still a few games, because, again, take Nevada and, or take Kansas State and Stanford. Stanford looked horrible against Kansas State. Absolutely terrible. I watched that game because of legal reasons. Um, 
besides not being able to decide on a quarterback, Stanford couldn't move the football. They had all of 236 yards of offense in the game against Kansas State. And I don't know a ton about Kansas State this year, but I know that it's not like, again, that they are not world beaters and Stanford could not do anything. They scored like late in the fourth quarter. Yeah, their only score was with 316 to go in the game down 24 to nothing. That's basically a pity touchdown at that point. I, I And take Cal. Nevada, a very good football team this coming year. I think they're, they're probably going to be one of the better teams in the Mountain West. They have a guy who's probably going to be a high draft pick in Carson Strong. But again, 330-odd yards of offense. Chase Garbers looks, again, very ho-hum. Nobody blew you away doing anything on that football team. And so, for again, I don't get all the Cal hype when they depend so much on that defense playing so well all the time because the offense can't carry the load. How many times has Chase Garbers had an opportunity to be the guy and he can't do it? So this is why we, and I'm, I'm again, rambling here, but that's why you listen to this podcast. It's for the rambling. Um, the North is not the division to be anymore. UCLA very convincingly beats LSU at home. SC could have, you know, maybe done a little bit more against San Jose State, but they still beat them comfortably. Arizona kind of sort of hung with BYU. Arizona State hasn't faced anybody hard. Utah and Colorado haven't, but they both beat the teams they played pretty convincingly. So, for the first time in a very, very long time, the balance of power is not in the North. It is with the teams in the South. Which, again, is a surprise to say after so many years of the North really being the dominant division in this conference. Now, granted, once the Alliance... That's what I'm going to say it the rest of the year, I think. Until like it actually happens. The Alliance... Until the Alliance actually gets cooking, you're going to have divisions in this conference because... They, I don't know, reasons? (laughs) Regional rivalries and whatever else, blah, 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 blah. Even though regional rivalries don't matter to Stanford and Cal because they play UCLA and USC every year. That was part of the concession of Northwest schools down in LA at least once a year, blah, 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 blah. So, until the divisions go away, once the alliance begins... This is the first time in a while that the South has been dominant, and it may very well be that way until the divisions go away because I don't really see a sign of UCLA slowing down. USC's kind of whatever. I don't know what Clay Helton's doing on a year-to-year basis, and I don't think his alums are either. All I know is Scott Wolf never likes him very much. Um, Utah with Kyle Whittingham is always good until the end of the season when things fall apart, as is Kyle Whittingham's way. We're going to see what Colorado can do. I don't think 2020, again, you know, we've, we've talked about how 2020 is not a great indication of what you can do, but I did not think Carl Durrell uh, being good with Colorado was going to be a thing. And Arizona State, once, once whenever they figure out that NCAA investigation, we'll see if Herm Edwards is still the coach. But, uh, yeah, I think the kind of the tenor of who's in charge in this conference has changed a little bit. And we'll see more as the year goes on, but just week one... 
Kind of seems like the boys down south are in charge now. And that's very odd to say. Dunderhead of the Week. Ask Michael anything. We'll do it after the fight song on the Cook Center Hour. Dunderhead of the week. This goes out to a virus. Not the one you're thinking of. Uh, Saturday was my mom's birthday. We had a wonderful time uh, having steak shish kebabs at her house with a side of baked potatoes. Baked potatoes and steak shish kebabs are just deli- a, a, truly an underrated uh, dinner. It was delicious. Um... Now, we were attending a wedding the next day in Walla Walla, so my daughter was going to be left there in the care of her family that is not her mother and father um, for a couple of nights while we were gone. Um, And we went home to settle in to watch a football game, and my wife was not feeling well. And then overnight, I started to not feel well. So the Dunderhead of the Week goes out to Norovirus. If you are looking for a quick way to not get out of bed for an entire day and spend the whole day worshipping the porcelain throne, and not because you had a ton of fun the night before, may I recommend Norovirus. It's just a delight. I like all, all the weight loss of food poisoning with two times the amount of headachey fun and the inability to keep virtually anything down. Water? Heck no. Gatorade? Absolutely not. You don't need those electrolytes or anything. Chicken noodle soup? Nope, that's coming back the other direction. Norovirus. Not food poisoning. We figured that out because other family members unfortunately got it. Luckily not our little baby. Okay. Norovirus. Not a particularly fun ailment to have for any length of time. I just, oh god. Horrible. I literally watched the end of Notre Dame, Florida State from the tub just to soak my joints because they were so sore. Yeah. I, I, I watched a football game from the tub. I actually recommend that. It's, it's very, very pleasing. I did not have a beer because norovirus. Um, that was nice. I'd watch a football game from the tub again. A little bigger tub. Our tub's kind of small. You know, like a big old like, jacuzzi tub. Yeah, I'd do that again. Ask Michael anything time. I may have just revolutionized football watching from the tub. Pretty nice. As usual, I answer these as I see them for the first time. I don't think of anything in advance. At Trip X Fontaine, Zach Cecil, other than Nick Rolovich, who's most to blame for this Paul Wolf-esque loss? 
Other than the obvious solution of firing Nick Rolovich, next best solution to fix the S show of train wrecks carrying boxcars full of dumpster fires. Uh, I mean, the whole coaching staff to blame. We've talked about that, right? I don't, at this point, firing Nick Rolovich is not the thing to do. I just obviously don't have a lot of confidence in him to do this. Um, it's for them to coach better and for them to prepare better. At Zimcaster, Matthew Zimmer, given week one's debacle, what's a realistic win total expectation for the rest of 2021? Feels like Max Borgie's being wasted. He only had 11 touches in that game. I forgot to touch on that in the intro. Is that a fair criticism or is a possible injury hindering him? I don't think he's still hurt. Realistic win total would probably be about four. Um, but yeah, being a little wasted. He didn't wasn't terribly effective on Saturday, I think largely because of the offensive line. But might not completely be his fault. He looked very healthy on that 64-yard scamper to the end zone. Nothing wrong there, so I don't think he's got an injury lingering at all. At Beatty underscore Matt. Matt Beatty, drink of choice after watching that loss on Saturday. Um, a little later on in the day, Gatorade, uh, if I could keep it in my system, uh, but bourbon, unfortunately. I don't think that contributed to anything, but yeah. At Wazoo's Joe Boo. Wazoo's Joe Boo, what the F was that on Saturday? You heard a train wreck and poo fest and all that other good jazz. At Jesse underscore Casino. Jesse Casino, our own Jesse. Best use of a third string QB in school history. Go. Does Dan Wagner handing it off a bunch in a game count? Or was he the backup in that game? Was that at Oregon State? Was he just like strictly the backup? Or was he, I thought he was the emergency QB. I think I'm going to go with that. I think he was the emergency QB. At I am Eric Russell. Eric, do you think we could land Graham Harrell? Don't want him. At WSU Brady 27, basketball season yet? <laughs> season win predictions based on the weekend's result. If we win convincingly, win but it's a struggle and lose. Oh boy, if we lose. Yeah. I'll go over that in a minute. <laughs> Uh, win convincingly, probably still four or five. Win, but it's a struggle. Uh, two or three losses. Yeah, again, the division's not good, so that helps. At Devin Lewis, 89. Devin Lewis, in continuing last week's theme, over-under on total games coached by Rolovich, WSU, 16.5. Over-under touches for Borgie against PSU, 11.5. Over-unders time special Cam Cooper wishbone used against PSU, 1.5. Zero. Over 11.5. And he'll coach more than 16.5 because I think that gets him... No, that would not get them all the way through the year um, if they don't go to a bowl game. So I will go. Man, I don't know. <laughs> it's really hard to say. I'm going to chicken out and take a no answer on the first one. I would lean under because he's not actually owed a lot at the end of this year. Um, but that remains to be seen. At Chris McKinturf. Chris McKinturf, why do I continue to play video games until 1 a.m. knowing I'm going to feel like garbage the next day? See, these are the random questions. I love these random questions. I used to do the same thing, and somehow I've now convinced myself to turn the video games off at 11 and just lay on the couch and, like, watch something mindless. I usually fall asleep until, like, 2 a.m. on the couch. Then I go downstairs and get into bed. That's usually it. Uh, at Sizu12, Coach Go Cougs. The student section showed up, but the alums were pretty sparse on the other side. What gives? It's always the case. Literally always the case. Also, where was the cougar growl after first downs? I don't know. I heard that feedback from a lot of people. I don't know what was like. And other things were messed up about how it went. I'm just going to chalk it up to nobody's been in there in like two years, guys. So I cut the game day staff a little break. It's been a couple of years. At Nick Beatty, 72. Nick Beatty, what does getting it on film mean? That means, like we talked about earlier, is wanting to have make coaches plan for it. They want to make them have to think about it in order to to do that but I, I don't know i think it would just be better just to do it and 
not have it be on film. At J.A. Roberts 1501, Montana Grizz account. Are we a women's soccer or volleyball school? Volleyball's 0-4. They're struggling a little bit to start the year. I'm going to go women's soccer. They beat Hawaii 7-0 the other day. That tie to Arkansas State. Arkansas State's goalie was great in that game. Um, That stings a little bit. And that might hurt a little bit later on. They might have to make that up uh, in in conference. Uh at Biggie 47, Chad Biggs, have you learned the difference between Beastie Boys and Cypress Hill? I have not. No, I made that mistake. I don't remember which podcast I was in, but I screwed up the reference on. I still haven't. Nope. At WSU FB Facts, WSU Football Facts, which top 10 team currently ranked won't be ranked at the end of the season? Ooh. I want to say Iowa State because I just cannot stand Matt Campbell. Um... I was always a good candidate for that. I'll go with Iowa. Uh, at Totes McStose, Pumpkin Stose Latte. Who will be coaching UW and WSU in the Apple Cup this year? Uh, Jimmy Lake and Nick Rolovich will. Yeah, that'll be the case. I'm, Jimmy's not going anywhere despite the... Man, Twitter was ablaze after that game. Uh, at Barnes 77 Jalen Barnes. In some event, Rolo does get end up getting canned. Who could we foresee taking over in the short and long term? Jake Dickert in the short term, long term? I got no idea, man. Uh, Wazoo 49, PSU 24. I'd like it to be more comfy than that, but it won't be. We'll see you next week on the Kook Center Hour.